I want to talk today about what I see as the enemy. Well, first, what the problem is, what the solution is, what most people think the enemy is. So I'm speaking a little loosely here because enemy is a kind of funny term. This isn't like a war. So the problem, the problem as I see it is that human population is decreasing the Earth's ability to sustain life and human society. I have a goal of increasing that ability to make Earth more able to sustain life and human society. I see that as decreasing. Actually, I have two goals. The other goal is for people, or this is part of the same goal, is for people to enjoy the process. This is not about coercion, but joy. I don't want to make people do stuff that they don't want to do. I believe that we all want clean air, clean water, clean land, things like that. And when we can act on them, we will find that we prefer it, despite what we tend to think based on, I don't know, society and the ads and stuff like that. Now, if it happens that our population is over what the earth can sustain right now, which I believe that's what the numbers seem to imply to me, then restoring that balance and getting our population through lowering the birth rate below what's, what the capacity of the earth to, to sustain is, that's part of the goal too. So what's keeping us from that? What makes that not happen? Many people view carbon dioxide, methane, plastic, things like that as the enemy. We are producing those things. They're not coming out of nowhere. We're making those things. We use stuff that cause pollution. We buy things. We, and those things don't have any volition. It's not like carbon dioxide is sitting there scheming against us, nor is plastic. They have no volition. They have no choice. They react to our behavior, and we lead them to exist. We lead them to be in the atmosphere, in the oceans, and so forth. Some identify Exxon or Trump or other people as the enemy. The thing is, we're buying what Exxon sells. We're doing what Trump does. I hope you know from listening to this podcast, flying New York, LA round trip coach once puts you over the Paris Agreement recommendations. And so I know a lot of people who don't like Trump and criticize him for pulling out of the Paris Agreement. They themselves on a personal level pulled out of the Paris Agreement each time that they flew over a certain amount. Everyone I know flies. There may be a few people I know who don't fly, but basically The overwhelming majority of people listening to my voice right now fly, and that puts you over the limits for what the IPCC recommends. How can we criticize Trump for what we ourselves are doing, unless we ourselves the enemy? And if we're buying what Exxon sells, if we're buying what Delta sells, if we're buying all the stuff that pollutes, we are supporting these things. Are we supporting the enemy? Are we there for the enemy? The more that I think about it, we can be more precise about this. Some identify inequality, poverty, and outsourcing to other countries, make it easier to pollute, but we have had inequality long before without such destruction. Some identify lack of education, but scientists pollute, they're pretty well educated. The US itself is very educated and we pollute more than almost anybody. This is not an intellectual issue. It's not that we don't know enough. Everybody knows that takeout creates a lot of plastic pollution. People keep still buying takeout. We know what's going on, we still do it. It's not an intellectual issue. It's an emotional issue. It's our behavior resulting from our motivations. Our motivations come from our emotions. Our emotions and motivations result in part from systems. We do what's easy. We do what the world is set up to do. And that was from people before us. But we could change the systems and we're not changing them. I mean, there's some change, but very little. And I don't mean changing systems within their companies to make them more efficient. I've spoken on many episodes about how you can increase efficiency But that doesn't lead to reducing total waste. In fact, the general trend over the past few hundred years has been increasing efficiency and increasing total waste. Increasing total waste is a problem. We're more efficient than ever and producing more waste than ever. Our emotions result from our beliefs. And those beliefs, our personal beliefs, 
also happen to coincide with the goals of our culture. The enemy, if that's the right term, is the beliefs that are driving our economic system, driving growth, driving our choice to externalize costs. Also, beliefs that are leading us to keep doing what we're doing, saying you can keep doing what other people are doing and not really thinking about past that. And that's what most of us are doing. Overwhelmingly, when I talk to people about what they're doing, they'll talk about something here or there about recycling a little bit more or something like that, but they're basically doing what they've always been doing. And on the big things, meat, flying, air conditioning, they're not changing. And when they do change, they act like it's some big deal that they should get some award for it, some giant appreciation. Whereas to me, it seems more and more like not polluting is like not kicking puppies. People are like, oh, you act so good. I'm like, I just didn't kick a puppy. I don't want congratulations for not kicking puppies. I don't want to live in a society that holds not kicking puppies in particularly high regard. I want us to take that for granted that we should enjoy playing with puppies, not kicking them. Anyway, here are what I consider the biggest enemies against maintaining or restoring Earth's ability to sustain life and human society. These are the beliefs that are driving our behavior that pollutes. These are, if anything is an enemy, these are the enemy. First, the common ones, and then I'll, I'll work up to the bigger ones. Actually, they're all pretty big. Number one, this belief, if I act but no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter. This belief drives people to keep doing what they're doing. Number two, these little things aren't worth doing. They're just too small, but these big things are too big. I don't want to do them. So people say, oh, straws, what's the point? That doesn't make a difference. Not fly. Are you crazy? That's too much. And so everything's either too big or too small, and they just keep doing what they've been doing. Number three, I'll make this process more efficient. Now that's while making the overall system that pollutes, pollute more efficiently. So a lot of people are making little things and elements of the bigger system, of the greater global economic system, they're making it more efficient, but they're making that whole system more efficient and that system pollutes and they're polluting more efficiently. Number four, if I just satisfy this desire now, it will lead me to do less later. Anyone who's had an addiction or anyone who has seen a chocolate cake in front of them or some dessert and thought, I said I wouldn't have this. You know, people who are dieting. I said I wouldn't have this. You know what? If I eat a little bit now, I'll eat a lot less later. And then they eat it. Now, a minute later, they might regret having eaten it. But at the moment they eat it, they feel, this is what I deserve. I should have this. Sounds a lot like when people have heroin. It's like, oh, I'll just have this one hit. And then they actually make them more addicted later. So I think people are constantly satisfying these desires and it's leading them to do it more. Okay, that was number four. Number five, government should change or corporations should change or others should change. Other countries, they're the ones that are polluting. It's always someone else. Others should change, but not me. So that belief is really driving people saying, yeah, it's, it's kind of related to if I act, but no one else does and what I do doesn't matter, but it's slightly different. Everyone wants others to change first. All right, number six, there should be law to change my behavior. This one's crazy. No one says I don't murder because just because there's a law that says don't murder. Of course, there's a law and it makes it illegal. But it's not like if that law were repealed, we'd all start murdering each other. And yet we think it's fine to pollute. All right, maybe I'm stretching it. I don't think I'm stretching it there. But people believe there should be a law first and they're not changing until that law happens. All right, number seven, acting sustainably is a burden, a chore, a distraction from what I really want to do. Actually, I believe this is the number one belief driving things because if people believe this, that acting sustainably is a burden, it's a chore, it's a distraction from what I really want to do, it keeps them from acting. When you act on these things, you get the opposite of all these things, which is you learn that it's a joy, that it creates community, 
that it creates connection from people with people around you. Polluting almost necessarily forces you to separate from people around you because you don't want to pollute the worlds of people that you know. So you have to not know lots of people. You have to distance yourself from them if you're going to pollute their worlds. That was number seven. Number eight, acting sustainably hurts jobs. I'll just give the example of coal and solar and everyone talked about, or some people talked about how they wanted to keep jobs in coal, but there were much more jobs in solar. Anyway, an economy can exist perfectly well without growth. Many human cultures have survived significantly longer than our culture has since, say, the Industrial Revolution without growth. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years, certainly many places with thousands of years. So we don't need all that growth. Acting sustainably does not hurt jobs. All right, I'm not trying to argue against these things. I'm just pointing them out. Number nine, maybe in general I shouldn't, but this time it's justified. This one I see with all these would-be leaders, Al Gore in Inconvenient Sequel is, is a big example I think of is where he's flying around all over the place acting unsustainably. Oh, just this one case. We need to get this deal to go down and it's actually worth it. This is a quintessential case of someone knowing what they want to do and then justifying why it's okay. I am grateful that Al Gore got us to where we are, the role that he played in that. But the next stage, reaching sustainability, is going to require, I believe, will require people living sustainably, actually doing their best to live sustainably, not excusing themselves all the time, because that leads people, everyone believes that what they are doing is important. And so everyone thinks, yes, in general, I want to support clean air, clean water, clean land, but in an accident, a bigger car is safer, so I'm just going to get this SUV. And so we have a nation full of SUVs instead of smaller cars or bikes, and that belief is driving it. Maybe in general, I shouldn't. Well, but this one time it's justified. We're all justifying each time. Number 10, not growing means stagnation, instability, a return to the Stone Age, early deaths, women in chains, and losing all progress. So many people, I say some behavior that I'm doing of not using something, I don't know what, and people are like, oh, you want us to go back to the Stone Age? You mean you want to go back to where there's no medicine, where there's no computers? This is what is called a false dichotomy or straw man argument, making stuff up that I didn't say. And that doesn't have to be that way. There's plenty of technological progress that has nothing to do with growth and makes people's lives better. And likewise, as an aside, there's plenty of technological change that drives growth, but I'm not getting into that. Number 11, I can't change my values or society can't change its values. People change their values all the time, even root values. Sometimes it can change because of external circumstances. Sometimes it can change because you mature and grow. But certainly when someone has a baby, their values tend to change. They tend to value the baby's health and wellness above their own, above certainly a lot of other people's. And well, if the circumstances change that there's going to be a billion climate refugees and Florida's going to be underwater, you can imagine that people's values might change. And they can change. We can consciously change our values. Read my book, Leadership Step by Step, to see how you can do that. So if you believe that you can't change your values, you can change your values. Anyway, I'm not trying to argue for or against these things. I'm just saying these beliefs are sustaining the problem that I defined earlier. Number 12, I'm behaving this way for logical, rational reasons. People think I've thought this out and I'm doing what's best. That's not how the mind works. That's not how we choose. In general, we want an outcome. We feel good about something and then we rationalize it however your mind can. However, unconsciously, we rationalize why that behavior is right. We think we reason through it and come to the logical conclusion, but our minds actually 
find the conclusion we want, and then generally justify it so we feel good about making that choice. So those are 12 beliefs that I believe are the most biggest things driving the behavior that's leading the earth to be unable to sustain wildlife, life, and human society. As beliefs, these enemies, if that's the right word to use, these enemies are within us. They're inside of us. They're something that we hold on to. Being in us makes them insidious because it's inside of us. But it also makes, it makes them completely within our ability to change them. Change these beliefs and everything will follow. Well, there's still the question of time since we don't have a long time and manifesting the change takes time. But if we change these beliefs to their counterparts, to what I do does make a difference, to acting on the environment is joyful, it creates community, creates connection, and all the counterparts to all of these beliefs, if we adopt those changes, eventually the change in our behaviors will happen, that we will want to take into account how our behavior affects others. If, however, we hold on to these beliefs and we don't change them, if you hold on to these beliefs, you're almost certainly decreasing Earth's ability to sustain life and human society. You're almost certainly sustaining a polluting system. And if you think that changing your beliefs won't change much, I suggest that not changing them vetoes everything else that you do. If you believe that you simply can't change, you will never change, even if you can. If you believe you can change, it's like that old saying, I think, from Henry Ford, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. If you believe you can, you can change. Well, my book on leadership step-by-step will tell you how to do it more methodically, but you can. More importantly, life with the opposites of these beliefs is happier. It's more joyful. It's less guilt-ridden, less shame-ridden. It connects you with people more. It creates community. It builds community. And it's healthier. I speak this from experience. And there's nothing special about me in this area. I'm no different than anyone else. I have the same emotional system. I get the same rewards and pleasures as everyone else does from behaviors and things like that. So the opposite of those beliefs, just a few examples are acting on my environmental values creates joy, creates community, and creates connection with the people around me. Try that belief on for size. See how it works for you, whether in the environment or any other place in your life. Here's another belief. Taking responsibility for how my behavior affects others connects me with them. It connects me with people in general, and it creates community. It connects me with nature. Here's another one. Stewardship brings joy and connection. Ask any parent how they feel about their child. Stewardship brings joy and connection. Here's another one. Pollution and waste create disgust. I hope that people start feeling the disgust that I feel when they see pollution around them, when they're doing things that create pollution so that it stops them. It stops me. Have I stopped completely? I don't think that's possible, but I've certainly cut down by something like 80, 90%. Here's another one. What I do matters. Let's go back to the one that that's the counterpart to. If I act but no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. Any belief that has that clause in it, what I do doesn't matter, I put to you is hurting you, is making your life more miserable. What I do matters. I'm going to leave off with that one. What I do matters. That is the counterpart to the enemy of what I do doesn't matter. So I'm going to, actually, I'm going to repeat these opposites. Try on these beliefs for size. Acting on my environmental values creates joy, community, and connection. Taking responsibility for how my behavior affects others connects me with people, with wildlife, with nature, and it creates community. Stewardship brings joy and connection. 
Pollution and waste create disgust. What I do matters. These are our allies. These are what we fight the enemy with. The enemy being the beliefs that keep us doing what we've been doing. However comfortable it feels, we know the results. We see the headlines.